So we're always looking for urgency now, 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 uh, because there really is no better time to go outside and play and have fun. So that's what we're really trying to drive home. My name is Felix Tian. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to find a manufacturer to create a brand new type of product when you only have a $5,000 budget, how to increase sales using FOMO in your email marketing, and how to use LinkedIn to get featured on big publications like Forbes. Before our show, I wanted to chat about Shopify shipping. Did you know that you can buy shipping labels for your orders at home and print them with a regular printer, get shipping insurance with the United States, and receive discounted shipping rates with certain carriers with Shopify shipping? There are no additional fees, carrier account, or app required. This is included with your Shopify plan, so check out Shopify shipping today at shopify.com slash ship. Today, I'm joined by Chris Mead from CrossNet. CrossNet is the world's first four-square volleyball game that started in 2017 and based on Miami, Florida. And last year, 2019, earned $2.3 million in revenue and on track to do much, much more than that this year. Welcome, Chris. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you created a new sport. Where, where did the idea come from? Yeah, so we created the world's first four-way volleyball net, and it essentially combines four-square, which is a childhood recess game, and volleyball. And uh, pretty much my brother and I and our good friend, Mike, uh, we all grew up together on a small farm town in Connecticut. And one night we were just brainstorming new ideas and and products that we could invent. And four-way volleyball came to us after watching ESPN reruns for like six hours straight. Wow. So so what made you guys sit down and think about what can we invent? Like, did you always have some either entrepreneurial past or always a desire to start a business? Yeah, I had had been working a full-time job. Uh, at the Uber headquarters, I was one of the like uh, sales executives over there. And Mike had just graduated with an engineering degree from Northeastern. And he really didn't want to get into the real world and have that nine to five life. So he said, hey, guys, let's let's meet up and let's try to come up with something. I was kind of stuck in my ways at my nine to five and, and was really looking for a way out. And we all just got together and mm-hmm. luckily came up with a great idea that night. Yeah, that's awesome. So this was this was like the first attempt at coming up with an idea for a business. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, so I had like social media experience and kind of helping our friends do stuff, but nothing like too too crazy. Mike had just graduated from college. I was doing my full time job, like doing tons of sales. So it was nice to uh, really like we we're like, wow, this idea could really be possible. That's awesome. Okay, so now once you guys had the idea in mind, did you look anywhere else or ask anyone else? Like, how did you see? Like, hey, let's see if this thing actually has any legs. Yeah. So what we did at first was we straight up Googled it, uh, tried to find if anybody was selling a four-way volleyball that had ever thought of it before. We couldn't find anything. So we went to our local Walmart. We rigged two nets up together, invited our friends over, and it was just so much fun. We made up rules right on the spot. And it was pretty much game to 11, win by two. You can only get a point when you serve it and stay alive. And everybody just had an absolute blast. We played probably for like seven, eight hours that day. So did you just have like a, like a prototype that you guys like handmade? Yep, we just handmade a, uh, two, Walmart, uh, two Walmart volleyball nets, pretty low quality, stitched them together real quick, and kind of like rigged them up on the side of our shed and, and our lawn. And it was just all the proof of concept we needed. Got it. So you you validated it within your your group of friends. Like, what was next? Like, what was the next step to making this thing more of a real thing? 
Yeah, so we had the the prototype we made. We then engineered a model on like AutoCAD, found a manufacturer overseas with the help of Alibaba and AliExpress. And then we kind of waited patiently for about two months while they manufactured it, gathered the parts, gave us like a, a mock quote. And then finally the version came to us. And it's far from the final version that we have now, but it was good enough to get the ball rolling. So we then took that to the beach to like really test it out. And from there, like hundreds of people would just come up and like ask us what it is. Can I play? It was like we had an alien like on the beach. It was wild. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, a super or highly visible and intriguing thing to see on mm-hmm. a beach. You're like this, the, the, what's going on? I would certainly stop by and watch you guys at least. Exactly. So you, you found a manufacturer overseas. And I think this is a process that I think a lot of people get stuck at where they have an idea, but they don't know how to turn it into reality, at least get those initial production runs or the first prototypes like you guys did. So talk to us about that. Like what, what, what was it like to, how, how did you first find the manufacturers that you wanted to, to do, I guess, a test run with? Yeah. So what we first did was we looked up volleyball manufacturers uh, because we knew that those would be the people who had experience in our industry. So for anybody like listening, like search for manufacturers that are kind of within your niche. If you're looking for a t-shirt manufacturer, obviously find a clothing, clothing goods person to do that. So we reached out just to the top three or four that had a good reputation online, good feedback, good reviews. And we wrote them a private message pretty much saying, hey, we're just a bunch of kids, but we have a great idea. I don't have a ton of money to invest yet, uh, but promise like work with us and we guarantee we're on to something. So we found one that really had good communication skills, was flexible, uh, had good payment terms and wasn't asking an arm and leg from us. And then we decided to move forward with that one person. And then we waited patiently once we sent over the model uh, for the first prototype. Got it. So anyone in the similar situation as you guys were where you are just getting started for the first time, might not have a lot of budget, aren't looking to make a huge production run yet. You mentioned that the terms were were good for for your situation can you talk to us about that like what are certain terms or what are certain things that new entrepreneurs should look out for when they are trying to negotiate or work with a manufacturer especially when it comes to like the terms yeah so we're, we're a self-funded company we started with right around ten thousand dollars so we knew that we weren't going to be able to order a lot of quantity off the top of our like right in the beginning and nor did we want to because if we had to order a thousand units We'd have no cash flow to build a website, to run marketing, to do fulfillment. So we really needed to stay lean there. So when we were looking for a manufacturer, we wanted somebody who was open to, to making 25, 50 uh, and was willing to work with a small and then scale. So a lot of the times you'll talk to, to manufacturers and they're like, yeah, we'll work with you, but you need to make a thousand or five thousand. And that's where companies really start to uh Start in the red, right? You you're you end up agreeing to these ridiculous terms, and you have five thousand units, but now you need to buy a big warehouse. You're out of a lot of cash. You don't have money left for marketing, all because you got a price breaker. You couldn't negotiate good enough. Mm. What, what what do you think made them willing to work with you at such low uh, order quantities? I think at, at that this point, we just had a really good idea, and they were surprised to even see it, and they were also very surprised that it wasn't something out there. So we were doing something brand new. Uh, we had a patent. We, they really, I guess, saw the the future of the business and that it had the potential. And we had promised that, hey, if we ordered these 50 original units, we're going to come back and order 100 and then we're going to order 250. And now we literally went from sell it, buying 25 at a time to buying over 12,000 at a time. So it was worth the, the risk on their end too. 
Makes sense. Okay. So when you were, what, what did the manufacturers need from you in order to produce the, the first run? Yeah. So for the first run, we simply had to send over the blueprint and the dimensions and uh, essentially what we really wanted for the net quality, the ball quality, uh, pretty much every single measurement we needed to, to really map out. Because if we didn't have the, those measurements mapped out properly, the net would fall and collapse. Uh, so it took a lot of map to to really make sure this guy would stand up properly and work. Got it. So when you got that first uh, order back, what what were some things that you guys decided, okay, we have to improve or change as you were wanting to iterate and improve on the product? Uh, so the first thing we saw was height adjustability. Uh, it was too small. Uh, we were like dunking over the net and we're barely six feet. So it was something that we knew that we wanted to get bigger. And then also we were seeing after playing it on the beach those first couple of weeks, uh, people of all different sizes played. So we quickly made the poles uh, be able to be adjustable really quickly. You could just take one or two out and it quickly adjusts to men's, women's, and children's heights. Awesome. Do you remember how much you, uh, you said you started with 10000 Was that how much it cost to get the first twenty-five to fifty, or was that just a portion of the initial budget? Yeah, just a portion of the initial, uh, of the initial budget. I think the first PO of like 50 units uh, plus importing probably ran us around five grand or so. Got it. Okay, so you got those in, you tested it out a bit, understood what needed to be changed. When, when was the next kind of order that you guys made with the adjustments? Yeah, so we pretty much took pre-orders down at the beach. We had our, uh, our first Shopify website up and running, uh, certainly way different from what it is today. But it was able to, to place an order. We'd let the customers know, hey, uh, expect your order to be shipped uh, within this time frame. Uh, so we got the pre-orders out into the world. And then customers started giving us the feedback. We took that feedback. And then about a month or two later, we purchased about 250 nets. God. Okay, so you, you actually took pre-orders at the beach while you guys were like playing the game. <laughs> How were you able to get the first sales, pre-order sales? So we had had the inventory on our on its way. It was like being stocked at our warehouse right then. And then we'd tell customers, hey, like your order will be shipped out within two weeks or so. So we'd actually come home and then we'd find out, oh, another Narragansett, Rhode Island sale. Oh, another Woodstock, Connecticut sale. So we had a lot of our, our friends and family and people at the beach place orders to begin. And then eventually it just became a viral sensation. One summer hit the following year and people all over Instagram were playing it. That's awesome. Okay, so you, when you guys were playing at the beach, people were coming up to you asking us more about it, and you just talk to us about that 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 pitch. Like, how were you selling it at the beach, and like, were you telling them to go to the website to buy? Like, what was the 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 way that you were selling these these products in person, pre orders? That is. So we'd have tons of people come up to us, play throughout the day. We'd get there early in the morning, like nine o'clock, not wrap up to like five o'clock, and just play all day long. And then from there, we'd either give them a discount code uh, that they could go then buy on our website and then we'd ship it to them. Or sometimes we even have models on hand that we'd just be like, hey, uh, we'll break down the net for you, get it for like 50% off, here's like a used one. So that's kind of how we first got our first couple like 50, 100 sales was just organically at the beach and then going home and taking the video clips from that day and running ads on Facebook or Instagram. Right, so I was going to say, like the, the the biggest value probably from those early days was to get that kind of content, and also the feedback on how to improve the product. Of course, yeah, it was massive, and like we just had to keep doing it because eventually people would buy the game, and then they'd go set it up at their hometown beaches. I remember uh, these girls from uh, New York, upstate New York, 
uh, they were at the beach in Miami for whatever reason on vacation. They bought it. And then all of a sudden I saw like six or seven sales coming just from their town. So I knew it was them like just driving the sport up there, which was a really cool feeling. That's cool to see, man. So at, at what point were you guys thinking, okay, this is the, the good enough version for us or not good enough, but like the perfect version for us to go to market with where, because you mentioned you're going through rounds of feedback, iterations, like how long did that take before you guys were happy with the product that you want to push out to the masses? Yeah. So typical lead time. So typical manufacturing time is about 30 days and then it takes about another 30 days to, uh, to receive the product. So it's about a 60 to 70 day window of from the time I place an order from the time I get it. So after about three or four rounds of revisions, which would come out to be almost like nine months, nine, 10 months, uh, we had a version that we were super happy with. Uh, the retail box looked good. Everything looked really good. And we were ready to, to really focus our efforts elsewhere and grow the business and grow the company and not worry too much about the product. Cause we were, we were stoked on the product, had, had tons of good reviews and we were ready to move forward with that. I mean, I wonder, was there ever a point where you guys just looked at each other and like, wow, I can't believe like this is happening with like a sport you guys invented, products that you're selling off the shelves? Like what was going through your head? The moment that happened was we woke up one day and the Latvian Olympic volleyball team of all places uh, randomly put up a video of them playing cross net. And I rolled over and I checked my phone in the morning and it had like 3 million views on this video overnight and like hundreds of thousands of shares. And that was the day like CrossNet really took off was this one video. Wow, that's crazy. Because you mentioned too that you were, that the product in the following summer was when it took off virally. Is that what that moment or like what, yeah, what was happening? right around then. Mm-hmm. Right around then. So like our sales were, if you look at like our Shopify dashboard, our sales were not the greatest for like the first, well, pretty much a year. Uh, we'd, we'd sell like two or three a day on a good day. Uh, our product cost is 150 so it's a little bit higher than the normal like product that's sold on e-commerce uh, and uh yeah it was a tougher sell for us and then all of a sudden we started getting enough nets in each beach location that customers were taking them to the beach and then it was a spider web effect down and then when you pair that with some crazy high quality content from professional volleyball players the things just kind of aligned at the same time which was that summer God. Okay. So you mentioned too that once you guys were able to finalize that 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 product development, you could focus your efforts elsewhere. Can you say more about this? Like, where do you focus your efforts after finishing the product development? Yeah. So the immediate effort was increasing our website and making it look way more legit and trustworthy. You have all these retailers out there, uh, like Amazon and Walmart and Target, that we'd eventually go to sell our product on. But in the beginning, our website. None of us had coding experience. None of us had website development experience. So we took a lot of our efforts into to building the website into what it is today, making it trustworthy, capturing emails. That way we could retarget uh, and just really putting a huge focus on that. I remember almost every day for pretty much a year, I'd make some type of tweak uh, to kind of A, B and test to, to see the days before his feedback. Mm, do you remember some of the changes that you made that had some, uh, I guess, sizable lifts in conversions? Yeah. Um, one thing was obviously we just added a cart hook. So that was a huge thing for us, which helped the checkout flow. Uh, cart hook was really good. But even back in the day, uh, things just like color testing the add to cart and the buy now buttons. I remember when we changed the, the buy now button to like a blue compared to the yellow we had back in the day. Uh, it converted a lot better 
So little things like that, even adding like a motivation in the header, like, oh, we had it, we were running an always on 50% off sale uh, for the longest time just to get the first initial interest. Uh, so we'd have a sale or a discount code in the banner. Uh, that really drives a lot of traffic too, which was great. Awesome. So you said a uh, cart hook was something that you added. That's like a Shopify app, right? What, what does it do? Correct. Yeah. So essentially what cart hook does, it's a little bit, uh, it's, it's an expensive app, but uh, it really works for us. Essentially the checkout process normally is three steps. It's the customer information, the shipping address, and then the billing. Uh, and now it's just all on one page. So it's a super easy way to for customers to check out and get to the final transaction that much quicker. So basically like trying to move, remove as many steps as possible from the exactly. sale. Yeah, that, that's my whole goal with the website is less clicks, the better, right to the cart. Got it. And you also mentioned you wanted to make the website more trustworthy. What, what are some elements that you changed or added to the site to improve the trustworthiness factor of a website? Yeah, one thing was definitely getting a like a warranty policy in place. Uh, if you look at our website now, like we really try to enhance our just the visual visual experience of we have customer service around the clock. We get our product out within like 48 hours, 30 day warranty or the first product of its kind. Uh, really get those support tabs up in the customer's face so they know that there's a human element behind it and that we're a real company. And then eventually we started getting the logos too. So we started working with Walmart and Target and Amazon and all these big, big companies. So once we added those logos to the website, uh, people started to believe, hey, it's not just a, a Chris and Greg and Mike four-way volleyball net. This is a, a legit company shipping thousands of units a month. Mm, got it. Okay, you also mentioned, too, that you were uh, capturing emails through your website. What, what was working to capture those emails? So we haven't changed our strategy too much uh, since the beginning of the time. We have a wheel that pops up when you visit the site and you try to leave. And we motivate customers with uh, a spin the wheel. You get 5, 10, 15, even a free net sometimes. And so that's a great capture. We use a tool called Privy for that. And then we just switched over to spin a sale, uh, which integrates with Clavio that we use now. So we use that and then a, a normal like welcome newsletter pop up uh, just to cap the email. And we always offer $10 off for that. Got it. Now, once you get those emails, what are you doing to to remarket to them through email? Mm -hmm. So we do a few different things. So if you are a customer that actually goes all the way down into the funnel and actually purchases, uh, you'll get a segment of emails geared towards actual using the product and how you use it. What, what are setup instructions, gameplay tips and tricks, all of that good stuff. And if you're just a customer who we're trying to turn into a sale, uh, you'll go into a different funnel. So we've become really smart about doing different custom messaging based off where you are in your, your journey. So if you haven't made a purchase yet on our site, uh, you're going to get more motivation. Uh, you're going to get more sales and discounts and FOMO and videos of, oh, this looks so much fun. Like this is how your beach day should be spent. So that type of messaging. Can you say more about that? I think that I've I've just seen FOMO being used when it comes to like the the website itself. But you're saying you're, you're trying to insert this into the email marketing as well. Say more about how you can generate this kind of fear of missing out in email. Of course, yeah. So one thing that we've been doing a lot is just whenever we go to the beach and we get a, a really high quality video or somebody sends in something, uh, it could be something as simple as, "Hey, remember your last beach day where you're just on a towel the whole day? You could have been doing this." So, and that's pretty much how the whole game originated in the first place. 
We'd go to the beach if it's too windy. We couldn't play our frisbee, and if it was too cold, we just sat there. So now you have this game that only takes a few minutes to set up, and it literally changes your entire day at the beach. So little messaging like that. We just released our indoor product, so um, and our ta- and it's also perfect for tailgate. So it's like one message would be like, "Couldn't you have used this at your last tailgate? You sat by your car for six hours. You could have been playing this." Nice. So you also mentioned too that a different type of email pathway or series you send out is after they've made a purchase, which are more focused on how to use the product. Why do you think this is important? Um, Because user adaption and making sure that customers are going out in the world and actually playing uh, is huge. It's free marketing for us. Uh, Yes, it's great to have them turn into a a customer off the jump and we, of course, get their money. Uh, But after that, them going into the world and playing is even more important. Because now they're marketing the game to hundreds, if not thousands more people. They're getting their friends involved and they're spreading the sport. So it does not stop when they make the uh, first purchase. It only just begun. Got it. Now we touched on a bit about the, the advertising that you're running. Can you say more about this? How do you, how do you set up your, your ads to make sure you're, you're targeting the right messaging, you know, whether it be tailgating or spending the day at the beach to the right person? Of course. So we run ads on all different platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Google, Bing, YouTube, Pinterest, list goes on. But as we've matured as a company, we found that making niche videos per different demographic is the most important. And what I mean by that is if we are setting our demographic to sell to moms, uh, we're not going to show them the high intensity volleyball players who are spiking the ball in people's faces. We're going to show them the more leisure content of what it would look like set up in their backyard where their 12-year-old's playing with their friends. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're selling to somebody like myself who's 27 looking for competition, I'm going to be geared. I'm going to be targeted with those high-intensity, crazy rallies, really get me pumped up and ready to go meet up with my friends. And I don't want to see that leisure stuff. Mm. So you, most people, and I'm sure you included, start with an idea of who your 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 market is, and you focus on winning those people over first, and eventually learn that there's a whole other market or other ways to segment that market. Talk to us about how you first started to say, oh, "Wait a second, there's someone else that's not like me that might also want to buy this product." Like, what was that first shift, and how did you make that shift? Yeah, so first we we really didn't have a ton of money to invest in video, so we'd be super lean. We knew that we could just take a nice iPhone video, set up the game, and it really was cost-effective. So it wouldn't cost us much besides maybe flying in an influencer or something like that to create a video. And then from there, we saw that we thought our target market was going to be 21 through 30-year-olds, really competitive people. But it ended up being the adults and the moms who were buying the game for their child who might just be starting in volleyball or looking for something to disconnect them from their phone. So parents and physical education teachers became our biggest seller and continues to be so. Oh, wow. Interesting. So once you learned that, did you, I guess, what was the next step beyond just using your iPhone or or is that strategy something that you can continue using for for a long time? We continue to use that. User-generated content's huge for us. Uh, Sometimes we'll we'll do things with email like, hey, send us the best clip you have on your phone for a chance at a $25 Amazon card. You know, something so small that costs us so little. Uh, motivates customers so much to just go out and play and have a great time. Even if they're already doing it, like now they'll just take their phone out and record and send. And it's just, uh, it helps both parties big time. So doing things like that, 
And once we realized what our target demo was, like we just really continue to build content for that all day long because we know that sells. Got it. So once you do understand the segments of your market and how to create or or to rather create niche content that's focused on that market, how do you test what kind of video content or what kind of copy works? What's your process for trial and error or A-B testing to make sure that you are dialing it in? Yeah. Um, typically what we're doing is we're running it probably anywhere from three to four different ad copies on the same video. Uh, just and then basing it off different demographics to see what works best. Um, we're lucky that we work with an incredible uh, copywriter, actually two copywriters. Uh, so they're always doing the best to kind of split test things. And we'll we'll test things for about a week or so. And if they're not working, if they're, the CPA is too high, we cut it right away. If we're not seeing returns on the ads, uh, we will cut the ads. We're never those type of people that are like, oh, just two more weeks, three more weeks. If we see that we're burning cash, we cut it quick. And we do the same with email. Uh, if we are always A-B testing every email we send, uh, we use Clavio to kind of send maybe 25% of our email list, uh, these two different headlines. And then after that 25%, uh, we could see what subject line is performing the best. And we'll send that same subject line out to the, the remaining 75% of the people. Yeah, I think I think the challenge for a lot of people, especially when they're just starting out with ads, is to understand what is that threshold that you stick to, you know, you stick to like glue, you don't veer away from it. How do you determine? How do you determine when what is that threshold where you should cut it off and not keep on you know, dragging it out? Yeah, well, everybody's ROAS uh, return on ad spend is different uh, based on their product cost. I know that for me, I keep it very very simple. We have our product cost, we have our shipping cost. And then we have miscellaneous costs. We add that together. And let's just say for easy math, let's just say our product cost is $50. To get it out the door is $50. And the game costs $150. I then know that I have $100, give or take, to play with ad spend. So if my ad spends $60, I'm making a $40 profit. Granted, obviously, that's not an exact number. So I kind of have this threshold of how much I'm willing to spend per sale. And we're looking for ways to continue to drive that number down. So that's what I'm looking at when I'm looking at how much we're spending on ads every day. Got it. And is this something that you can have a good accurate, or not necessarily accurate, but a good idea from the the start? Or is it something that just you have to learn through experience from running ads on for your product? Um, I think for any product, you could kind of see it from the jump. Uh, You obviously over time you'll start to learn. There's other business expenses that you didn't think about. Like even something so small as a Dropbox account every month, those are all things that you have to factor into your business as a whole. But when you're just looking at the product, it's the product cost, the shipping cost, the transaction fees, any apps, or like if you want to even break it down as granular as this is my Shopify cost, everything gets calculated in, then it's the money that you have left over to spend on ads. And then that's where you really look at how much you're making. Got it. Now, when it comes to the, all the, uh, the A-B testing with the copy and the content and the targeting that you're doing, are there any fundamentals that you've seen that seem to work most of the time, like things that you almost always want to include in that first round of testing, like whether it means like the kind of copy you use, the kind of imagery you use? Yeah. For ads, for a product like ours, we're always running video ads. Typically, we're never running photos. Uh, just because video converts so much better with a four-way volleyball game, people spiking and having fun. And as for the actual ad copy, 
it's always creating a sense of urgency. Like, oh, your $25 discount code is expiring tonight. Oh, sign up now and we'll get it delivered by, or sorry, buy now and we'll get it delivered within the next 48 hours. So we're always looking for urgency now, 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 uh, because there really is no better time to, to go outside and play and have fun. So that's what we're really trying to drive home. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. Now, you mentioned the Latvian volleyball team was one of the first ones to give you a viral jump. And mm-hmm. were there other high, were there other professional athletes that were using the product that were getting the word out there for you guys? Well, once we did that, once we started getting the, the Latvian volleyball team, it was less about them being the Latvian volleyball team and more about the high quality content that they were able to give us. So what I mean by that is the, the action of what they did in that video we knew that as long as we could get high-quality volleyball players involved, we wouldn't have to spend an arm and leg just because it's um, the Ronaldo of the volleyball world playing it. So we started then, we went from there to be like, hey, these guys made us a video like this, and reaching out to just collegiate athletes and saying, hey, guys, can you think you and your friends could do something like this? And they're like, of course, just send us a net. So we were able to get a lot of cheap content by just exchanging the product out there. Okay, and when you say high quality, you're not you're not saying high quality like meaning like professional no, photography. Just a nice iPhone video that looks clean. It wasn't shot on like a razor from 2002. <laughs> Got it. Were there any besides the ads, Facebook ads? Were there any other marketing strategies that helped you guys accelerate your growth? Um, so retail, uh, we've gotten into retail within the last year. Uh, we're now sold at Walmart, Target, Dick's, Academy, Shields. Uh, and about like 15 other places. So the retail allowed our product to really uh, help with conversion because when they're on our website, it builds trust when they see the world's biggest vendors there. So not only the the retail, but also on the PR side, getting into Forbes and all of those things. Uh, when you can bring those logos in, it really helps with conversion on your site. Interesting. So it's it's you know there's a benefit of obviously being inside the stores. There's a benefit of actually being on a publication that has a lot of traffic. But you're saying taking those, uh, taking taking the features you've been in and the place you've been in the store and presenting that on your website actually helps the convergence on your website. Correct. Yeah. We don't on our site. If you click around with it, it doesn't actually give you the direct link. So if you are going to leave our site to go buy it elsewhere, we're going to make you go do that homework because we don't want to make it that easy for you to leave the site. But uh, the logos do really help, especially when you're first starting off. You're going to see you're running ads on your Facebook channel. Uh, people may or may not, like, you might have good reviews, you might have bad reviews. If you're drop shipping, for example, you might have long lead time, so customers could get angry. Uh, so having anything to kind of increase validity and make people trust you uh, goes a long, long way. Got it. I can imagine when you're looking for those kind of trust symbols, trust factors to add to your site, it might be easier to get on a publication like Forbes than try to get into like a retailer like Walmart. So when it comes to getting into a big publication like Forbes, how did that happen? How were you guys able to get featured on on you know trustworthy publications? Just a simple LinkedIn message, actually. Um, I had saw I added a bunch of writers into my newsfeed on LinkedIn. I don't message them immediately because that's nothing's worse than when you add somebody on LinkedIn and you get a message 14 <laughs> seconds later. Uh, so I kind of let time pass. I'd post my product. I, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see that I post videos of CrossNet. I post photos, things I'm proud of, not super spammy or salesy, just like 
this is what's going on in CrossNet today. And over time, uh, the people in my timeline become like just they become accustomed to my messaging and they see the product and they become familiar with the brand. So when it was time for me to reach out, maybe a month later, it was a much warmer touch. Hey, this is Chris from CrossNet. I don't know if you've seen before. And they're like, of course I've seen it. The, the video looks crazy. I was actually on the website the other day. And then that's where good conversations like that could happen. Okay, I want to break this down because I think this is super important the way you guys are doing or the way you're doing, which is that you're adding them on LinkedIn, which is that the best channel to be to to reach out to people that are at Forbes or other uh, PR outlets? Uh, for me, it has been, uh, especially since it provides the video content and the photography content and allows other people to interact too and like builds the brand. If okay. I just send a cold email, uh, it could definitely be lost. So LinkedIn really helps and also shows the personality. Uh, so it makes the person more comfortable. Okay, so you're on LinkedIn and you are, you are pushing the product, pushing your story at that person that you just friended or or create a connection with immediately. You are just adding them to your 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 list and then doing your doing what you're always doing, which is creating content about your product, about your company, about your story on your LinkedIn and. You know, just by the way LinkedIn algorithm works, they'll they'll see some of these things that you're posting. So they're almost like they're 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 being presented, they're being exposed to your message without you being so direct with this. So they're obviously much they're probably be more receptive to it. And then you build that that warmth. And then when you reach out to them, it's no longer, hey, it's no longer it doesn't seem as like as as uh, transactional as it would be if you were just to message them directly to off the bat. Exactly. Yeah. It's like over time, I know they've been exposed to my commercial at least once in their newsfeed. So then it's a much warmer touch. And it's been it's really led to some great success and some great interviews. And I've done the same on the buying side. Uh, that's how I've gotten in touch with several of the buyers at the retail stores. And they'll actually end up coming to our site and leaving us a message on our chat boxes saying, hey, saw your product on LinkedIn, looked it up on Facebook, looks amazing. Let's chat. That's awesome. So when you do reach out to, let's say, um, let's start with the, the the PR outlets first. What do you say after they're like, oh yeah, of course I've seen your 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 uh, content on LinkedIn. Like, what's the the approach to getting featured on a publication? Um, so I keep things very short and simple, and I like to speak in the way that I speak. I don't make it like sound like I'm a robot or somebody just writing a resume. It's like, and it's always going to be easier when you have the stats, right? So it's like. Hey, my name's Chris. I invented the world's first four-way volleyball net. Have you seen it? If not, we just did two and a half million and we're sold at all these stores. Think we have a good story here. Like super casual and more than likely they'll write back. Okay, awesome. Now, when you are reaching out, when you talk to these buyers, is it something similar or like what is the, how do you start engaging with a buyer at like a, a physical retail location? Uh, pretty similar. Uh, numbers for them obviously even mean more than for PR. They want to know that the product sells, and if they take a chance on you, it's going to sell. So same thing, super conversational, but on the other end of the spectrum, I, I gear it towards them. I say, hey, uh, I know that you're a buyer at, let's just say, Dick Sporting Goods. Uh, it, we have something really good here in the sport, outdoor sporting goods game market, and the industry is a little bit boring, as you know. We've created a, a revolutionary product. Here's our numbers. They don't lie. I think it would be great at just a few locations. I always ask for just the minimum. I don't want, I don't come in there and say, hey, we need to be nationwide with Walmart tomorrow. Like that's just unrealistic and also could really hurt your business if you don't have the cash flow. 
So I say, hey, let's start in five locations and see if they sell. And if so, it, it makes us both look good and then we could scale it. Awesome. Okay. So now you you are obviously selling a new product, but also selling a new sport. So what are the challenges of education around teaching people about new sport, you know, let alone educating them on your product? How do you even begin teaching someone about this new thing, this new activity that they can do? Yeah, it's huge. And that's where the email marketing comes into play big time, big, big time, because it's one thing to get them the product. It's another thing to have them actually go out into the world, set it up and then use our rules. So that's where the email marketing comes into play. That's where the video content comes into play. Uh, but when somebody purchases, they'll end up getting about anywhere from seven to 10 custom messages from us over the next like 60, 90 days. And there's, it's still something we're working and on and building out. But essentially it's like, have you played this week? Like if so, if not, like what's, what's stopping you? And it could either be like getting feedback from the customer about what's wrong about the game or why they're not playing. Uh, or the other messaging could be like, here's the rules. Like, did you forget to do this last time? Stuff like that. So it's just kind of driving home. Here's the sport. Here's how it's played on. Here's why it's so much fun. This is, this is for people that have already purchased and you're trying to get them to go and actually use the product. Correct. Yeah. So that, that's for that segment of the, the customers. Cause sometimes people will just buy it and want to use it to just play normal volleyball on. They'll do like three or four hits. And not even use our rules, just use it as like a warm-up thing for volleyball, which is also cool and fine. Uh, but I think the brand and the business will grow even more as the sport actually takes off. Got it. Now, you said things that are super interesting, which is a lot of people, when they are looking how to optimize either their sales or optimize their the, the, the adoption of their product, they look at what are people doing, what, what, what's working, and then they try to get other people to do what's working. You actually said something really important, which is you want to find out what's stopping them, what's not working. Mm-hmm. How do you use that information? Um, I Literally every day, I'll ask friends and family and people for like areas on our website that you can improve. Like I'll text my friends and say, hey guys, I'll send somebody 25 bucks right now. Find me one thing that's broken with our site or doesn't look good or a 404 page that you could find. So I am my biggest, biggest naysayer. Like I'm always looking for the negatives on our site. So look for where areas that you can improve. And then if you can't fix them yourself, uh, we use freelancing sites all the time and just hire people for a couple hours to improve things. I'm not a coding expert. I may need to do something in the line of code that or move some spacing up, stuff like that. And I just take action on it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Do you have some examples of things that you've been able to expose this way, whether it be the way that you talk about your product, the way that it looks like, on your, looks like on your website or the product itself by just asking people to critique it? Yeah, of course. Um, so one thing was on our homepage, uh, if you scroll down after the top video, there was a ton of negative space and the product actually wasn't in the fold whatsoever because there was just so much blank space and the text was really big. Uh, so being able to go into the code and deleting some of that blank negative space and moving up the text and bringing the product into the fold on mobile uh, really helped with conversion. We saw people getting the product into their cart sooner because they didn't have to scroll past all this negative gap. Um, Another thing was investing in a high-powered reviewing system. We had a lot of people say, hey, we saw this on on, uh, Facebook, but we don't see any reviews for it. So we purchased a reviewing software uh, to help really customers leave positive reviews and positive reviews obviously go far, far away. 
so there's tons of other things we've done on our website. Um, just like adding a, a testimonial block. We added a huge, we got quotes from like a professional volleyball athlete. We got one from a physical education website, uh, teacher, and we put that front and center on our website. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the, what was the app that you used for, for the reviews? So at first we used a app called Yotbo. Uh, they're pretty good. And then we moved over to Bizarre Voice, which is a much more premium option. Uh, but what Bizarre Voice allows us to do is it syndicates the reviews from our website and it also puts them on Walmart and Target and all the major retailers. So that was really important to us because when we started working with them, uh, our product would show up as just negative, no reviews, just like literally had like a ghost on the internet. And then when we used this app, it allowed to move all the good stuff from our website over to their websites. Interesting. Yeah, because I think what some people might forget is that I might see a product on on your website, but I might look up reviews elsewhere. I might not look for reviews necessarily on your site, but if I see the review on like Amazon or Walmart, it almost, to some degree, it looks more legitimate in some cases because they're obviously a bigger company and a review on there could carry more weight. So I think that's super cool that you've been able to syndicate it uh, using Bizarre Voice. Now you, you mentioned, we, well, we mentioned that you did about two and a half million last year. I think you also mentioned to me before we started recording that you guys are on track to well, like doubling or tripling that, what's leading, what, what, what has changed over the last, I guess, over the last few months that you're seeing this kind of traction? Yeah, it's been amazing. So it's twofold. One, the retail success just keeps growing. Uh, we just locked in a, a nationwide partnership with Academy Sports. Uh, that's 250 stores. So they're going to be ordering nets for all the stores and those will sell out over the summer and they'll put a few more orders in hopefully uh, throughout the year. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum is the physical education sector. We're in about, give or take, 4,000 schools right now. And more and more teachers are buying it for their classroom. They're setting it up. The kids are having the time of their life with it. And then they're running home to their parents and having their parents buy it for them. Wow. So selling to schools, I don't think I've ever had someone on here that has, actually, I've had, I had another one, but not, not when it comes to physical education. What's that okay. like? How do you get into schools? Yeah, uh, so it's twofold. One, we make our website uh, have an opportunity section with a drop down for physical education. Uh, from there, there's a whole section geared towards uh, how you could use it in your gym class, your curriculum, uh, registering your website, uh, sorry, registering your classroom. Uh, we use an app called Power, which is free and allows us to just uh, have people put their, their information in. And then there's also, um, there's, pamphlets and booklets that are distributed across the country uh, from major sporting goods retailers that sell only to gym classes. So we're actually in these big books uh, in, in like the, the homepage of these these websites that sell only to gym teachers. So they're getting exposed across net really early. And what did you, what, when were you able to see again that, that this was a whole market? As you mentioned that this is your fastest or your biggest market that you're selling to. How did you guys recognize that there was this, this market that you guys should tap more into? Um, when we started looking at like just the comments and, and reviewing who was actually buying, who were we having customer service questions with on a daily basis, it just kept being the moms. Moms and parents buying for their kids. And uh, it just became r- extremely obvious that this was our target market. They were the ones taking out the credit card and buying. The end user was their children uh, or family members. 
but they were the ones that were actually making that purchase. And when you are selling to someone that is purchasing it, but not the end user, how does that change the way that your messaging or your marketing looks? So we're kind of doing it in the eyes of what they would expect to see. So like I said, we're, we're creating content geared towards, towards that family aspect. So things that they would, if they were to make this purchase for $150, would it give them excitement? Would it give them joy? And would it make their family feel a little bit more happier and connected? So that's the content that we're looking to make. It's a Saturday afternoon. Uh, the kid's no longer on the couch texting. He's outside having fun with his friends. The music's playing. Uh, and, and we're really just trying to bring fun back into people's lives with CrossNet. Got it. Now, so nowadays, what do you spend your time doing at the company? So I do a variety of things. My job as the CRO is to handle all the sales and a good majority of the marketing. Uh, so I'm overseeing the the launch and preparation that we're doing uh, with Dick Sporting Goods and Academy Sports. Uh, while trying to get into a few more retailers, I handle uh, the good majority of the email marketing. I own the website pretty much doing all the changes and any coding and anything that needs to be done on the Shopify side of things. And then I'm also hiring freelancers for gaps. So anything that we need work on, we need. Uh, we don't have a content creator on staff. Uh, we hire a graphic designer pretty much hourly. So if there's things that we need, tournaments popping up that we need content created for, uh, that's all me just hiring those people out on project by project basis. Mm-hmm. Have you held a similar role from the beginning of the inception of the business? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So our partner, so the team's consisted of myself, my brother, and our partner, Mike. And the reason we've been able to grow so quickly is that we all have different skill sets. Um, Mike's an engineer by trade. I know nothing about engineering. So I'm going to let him roll with that. And then my brother, Greg's really good at social media marketing. So that's all him. And I don't touch that. So um, those are the avenues there that we just are kind of siloed. We're the best at what we do for our company. And we don't step on each other's toes, which is nice. Now, when you were, because your role has stayed the same throughout, what were some of the most important things for you to focus on in the early days, like very, very early days? And how has that evolved over time? Um, In the early days, it was a lot of like, customer service and also just building the website in the beginning. Like I I didn't know how to use Shopify. Uh, Thankfully it's been so easy to learn and catch up on. Uh, But building the website, capturing the emails that we still sell to and customer service were things that I was focused on in the early days uh, that I've kind of taken off my plate to an extent. I don't deal with the customer service anymore. We have that outsourced by another team member. Um, I'm building the website, but now I have a team that codes as well. Uh, so I've kind of been able to get those responsibilities off my plate a little bit. So crossnetgame.com is a website. What's been the biggest lesson you've learned last year that you want to apply to this year? Um, the biggest lesson I've learned last year was we thought that we needed every influencer in the world to support our product. And we lost a lot of money shipping product to influencers who never even made us content. Uh, and that's sad, but the reality of the world, people use their power on the internet for benefit and they might actually come through with things. So just if you're starting off a business, find the best few that you really like, build a solid rapport with them, build out a contract if you need, uh, and, and start small and scale it. Send out your product to five or 10 people, get the content, monetize the content, and use those earnings to send more influencers product. 
So I see a lot of companies in this day of age like relying on influencer marketing. Uh, and it could be great, but it's also a really great way to burn a lot of cash that nobody tells you about. So just be smart and, and scale slowly. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.